invite you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. This is the second sermon. We're doing a monthly series called the Drama of Redemption. Every time we have the Lord's Supper, we'll be just looking at one of the events, tracing the steps of Christ as He makes His way to the cross. Last month, we looked at Jesus being arrested, and tonight, seeing Peter's denial and in that his betrayal of Christ. Uh, let's give our attention to Matthew chapter 20, 26. First going to read Jesus uh, prophesying, telling Peter this is going to happen, and then we'll see the event itself. Let's pick it up in verse 26. Excuse me, verse 30 of chapter 26. Verse 30 of chapter 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And then we go over to verse 69. Jesus has been arrested. Uh, he's been brought before Caiaphas and the council. And uh, Peter followed apparently at a distance, verse 58. And, and now verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you for this painful text uh, as it shows us the truth of our sin. And yet, Lord, thank you for the glory of your love and grace for sinners that's revealed here. Give us, Lord, eyes to see it and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message is A Great Savior and an Egregious Sinner. Uh, egregious uh, means outstandingly bad. Uh, outstandingly bad. And, and when we think about Peter's behavior here, it is outstandingly uh, bad. But it's a story here. This, this text is really the story of, uh, well, it's our story if you're a Christian. One of the things that I like to ask people when they're uh, seeking to be a member of the church and join the church, uh, I like to ask them, are you a sinner? And uh, they always say yes. And then I, I, always, I, I like to ask this follow-up question, are you sure? And uh, I've never had someone say, well, I think so. Uh, if they would say, well, I think so, uh, that would be a problem, wouldn't it? Because we recognize that you can't really understand the gospel or Jesus or have a saving faith in Jesus without being confident of this fact that we actually are Sinners who need a Savior. And, and the story of every Christian, if we were just to go around tonight and say, uh, tell me how you came to faith, part of that story would be 
uh, the story of your becoming aware of your sin. And, uh, and those, are, those are painful uh, experiences and, and, and yet critically necessary experiences. We, we, could never, we could never understand the gospel without them. Well, tonight we're going to see uh, Peter um, do exactly the thing he promised he wouldn't do, and Peter come to face himself in, with all the, the poignancy and the pain uh, of that experience, and yet in that moment also then finding um, Jesus and discovering Jesus in a way that he had never really uh, known him before. Uh, tonight we'll look first at the setting and then the sin and then the Savior. The setting, the sin, and the Savior. Uh, the last time we saw the disciples, um, they were fleeing for their lives, right? Terrified by the, the threat of the soldiers. Uh, they abandoned Jesus to his fate. It was just exactly as Jesus had prophesied, well, Zechariah actually, the prophet, had prophesied, strike the sheep, strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And, and that's exactly what happened. But at the time of our story, Peter seems to have partially regained, regained his courage and um, makes his way tentatively, furtively, to where Jesus was. Jesus had been led uh, to first Annas, uh, the former high priest of Israel, and then to Caiaphas, the current high priest. Uh, they apparently both lived in the same house. They were related by marriage and uh, probably lived on, in two wings of a house with a courtyard in between them. And that's the courtyard where Peter now enters. Uh, he has, in, in a real sense, entered into the den of the lion. It was apparently a cool night in Jerusalem because we're told there was a fire and people were gathered around the fire to keep themselves warm. And so uh, Peter is there in the courtyard uh, while Jesus is inside on trial. Of course, the trial of Jesus wasn't, um, wasn't an authentic trial. The, the, the men who were holding it were not in the least concerned about justice. Uh, they were concerned with revenge. Uh, they were concerned with maintaining their power. Uh, they were there to find anything they could, uh, they could find in order to put Jesus to death. They were just looking for a way to make it happen. And yet Jesus, in beautiful submission to his Father, submits, think of this, the judge of heaven and earth, submits himself to this mockery of a court, this puppet trial, uh, inside of the home of Israel's corrupt high priest. Jesus is doing a mighty work of submission and obedience to his Father uh, there in, inside the home. And in the providence of God, this will be the time and the place as Jesus is on trial for Peter, in a sense, to be on trial himself. Uh, Peter is going to meet himself as he's never met himself before. Uh, he's going to fail abysmally as he never imagined he could fail. And he'll be shown in this, in this moment the undeniable truth of his own wicked, sinful, betraying heart and his desperate need for a Savior. And so that's the setting. Let's look at the sin. Verse 69, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up and said, you, were, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. You can just see it. You can see it happen. Peter's there by the fire. There's a small group. And, and, and one of the, uh, this, this girl, this young girl, um, says, well, you, you were with Jesus of, Naz of, of, of the Galilean. And, and Peter's warming his hands. And I, I don't know what in the world you're talking about. I, 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 I wasn't, I'm not with him. All right, he's, he's telling everybody. She's, just, she's, she's talking nonsense. She doesn't, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's clearly confused. 
It seems like such a simple and easy thing to do. But we need to stop and just think about what has Peter just done? Because he's done something awful. Uh, what has Peter done to Christ is maybe a good question to ask. You see, because this isn't just a story about the sin of Peter. It's a story about the suffering of Jesus. Uh, some of the commentators point out that, that in terms of, of the pain caused to Christ, Peter's denial of Jesus would have been far more painful than Caiaphas's false charges, would have been more painful even than the blows of the soldiers. It's not that Jesus was surprised by it. Of course, Jesus knew this was going to happen all along. Jesus told Peter it was going to happen. But the betrayal is real and, and painful nonetheless. You see, um, Peter is he's not just an acquaintance of Jesus. He's not even a, sort of a friend of Jesus. He's, he's one of Jesus' chosen disciples. And, and in fact, one of the, the three closest disciples, Peter and James and John, were in the inner circle. They were the closest confidence of Christ. Uh, they were going to be leaders of the New Testament church. Uh, Peter had been allowed the privilege of going on the Mount of Transfiguration and seeing Jesus uh, transfigured there in, with the glory of God. Uh, Peter, well, Peter was, was one of the most important and significant of the disciples. He was a leader of the disciples. He was, he was probably the oldest of them as he was already married. And so given his status and given his privileges, Peter at the very least should have been willing to go and stand in the courtroom of Annas and testify um, about the goodness and the innocence of Jesus. He should have been willing to speak on behalf of his master and his, and his friend, his rabbi. And, and the strange thing about the, this is that just a few days ago, or just the, 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 that very night, he had promised he would do that, right? Even if, if everyone should desert you, and even if I have to die, Lord, I, I'll, never, I'll never desert you, ever. And he meant it. But now when the rubber hits the road, Peter finds himself doing precisely what he promised he would never do. And he finds himself doing exactly uh, what he can't, could not have imagined ever happening to him. He was Peter, right? He was the rock. He was, he, was the, he was the one who had courage and boldness and was completely sold out for Jesus Christ. That was Peter. And now this. Uh, you've heard it said, I'm sure, that you find out who your real friends are through a trial, when you're going through a trial. Well, Jesus found that he had no real friends at all. Not a single person, can you imagine that? Not a single person came forward to speak up on behalf of Christ. Not a single person. After all that Jesus Christ had accomplished, after all that he'd done, all the miracles, all the blessings, where were the lepers that he'd cleansed? The blind men that had sight, the paralyzed man who was able to walk, the thousands he had fed, Lazarus whom he'd raised from the dead, and, and others whom he'd raised them or their loved ones. They're nowhere to be found. It's, it's just Jesus standing alone, suffering alone, bearing the sins of men. And Peter sins against him in Jesus' greatest moment of need. But of course, he's also sinning against his own soul. He's not just abandoning Jesus to his enemies, but Peter becomes his own worst enemy. Uh, this is like watching a man commit spiritual suicide as Peter denies that he knows Christ, cuts himself off from Christ. And it doesn't just happen once. The next time he does it with an oath, verse 71. 
Uh, this girl says again, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth, and he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Uh, Jews were fond of taking oaths. They would, they would swear by the name of God, uh, the, by the name of the temple, by the name of, of heaven where, where God lives. Uh, it, it was a way of proving they were telling the truth. And so Peter, you see, is not only denying that he knows Christ, he's not only speaking this despicable lie, but he he's, calls on God to be a witness to that horrible act. And then it gets worse. Verse 73, one of the bystanders came up and said, certainly, you too are one of them. Your accent betrays you. You can't hide the accent. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Peter calls on God to judge him if he's not telling the truth. That, 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 um, if, 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 if I'm not speaking the truth here, may, may God damn me. That's what he's saying. May, may God condemn me. With curses and swearing, Peter officially, you see, before God and witnesses, separates himself from Christ. I do not know him I want nothing to do with him. He and I have nothing in common, nothing to do with one another. I do not belong to him. Peter's just cutting himself off with his own words from Christ. And words matter. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 37, by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you'll be condemned. It's just a, it's just a stunning scene. It's, it's, one of the most, it's one of the clearest examples in, in the Bible of the sheer insanity of sin. And the, in, the incredible wickedness, violence of our own hearts. I mean, Peter is, is, is doing these things. He's, he's officially cutting himself off from Christ, calling God to condemn him, damn him, if he's not telling the truth when he's speaking a flat-out lie. And, and Peter knows who Jesus is. This isn't some guy they pulled off the street who had maybe some interaction with Christ and saying, you know, and it's just, and it's just trying to to get away from Christ, unless he'd be draw, you know, dragged into the drama. This is Peter. He knows who Jesus is. Jesus had asked them, right, who do men say that I am? And Peter was the one with the answer. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Peter said, blessed are you, for this has not been revealed to you by men, but by my Father in heaven. Peter had been the recipient of divine revelation when it came to the identity of Jesus. He knew exactly who Jesus was. You are the Christ, the Messiah of God, the Savior, the judge of the world, the King, of da the son of David, the King. And yet, Peter, knowing exactly who Jesus is, Calls on God to condemn him if he, if he knows him. And not only does Peter know who Jesus is, Peter loves Jesus. When Peter said, Lord, I will, I will die for you, he wasn't just bragging. He meant it. He meant it. And yet, loving Jesus, you see, he commits this grievous sin against him. If you would ask Peter, and maybe we, we, maybe we get a chance to do this in heaven, but... Um, but if you would have asked Peter, right, a year later, Peter, how in the world did you end up doing this? You knew who Jesus was. Jesus told you you're going to do this. You promised you wouldn't do it. You loved Jesus. And then you end up calling God to condemn you if you know Jesus. I mean, how, how in the world did that happen? 
I think Peter's response would be, I have absolutely no idea how it happened. Haven't you ever been there? When you find yourself in the middle of some sin that you promised was not going to happen again, and you'd been doing so well, and yet in, in, it seems in a moment, there you are again, doing something contrary to everything you know to be true about God, everything you believe to be true about the gospel and about Christ and about who you are, and yet there you are again, doing the most confounding thing. You know, the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked, and it's beyond understanding. And, and I think that's the experience of God's, of God's children. I had a conversation with a young person several weeks ago who was just wrestling with this. It, it, it made no sense to them. How could they love Jesus and profess Christ and, and, and believe they were a Christian and yet, on the one hand, and yet then on the other hand, love their sin? And, and engage in their sin, things that they knew were contrary to the will of God, things that they knew deserved the judgment of God. How does that happen? Well, that's the experience of a Christian. We have this war going within us, Galatians, right? Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. The good that I, I, I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. That's the battle. That's the struggle. And and that's what Peter is, is, is running smack dab into. Peter is running into the reality of his own uh, betraying heart. The, he's running into the reality of his own rebellion. That when push comes to shove, Peter is going to stand up for Peter. Peter is going to do what Peter thinks is best. Peter will, will, is willing to do anything to protect himself, even deny Christ. It's really an unbelievably tragic, poignant scene. You know, the, the, um, the difference between Peter's sin and Judas's sin is, is, is somewhat stark, as Judas denies Christ because he has no faith in Christ. Judas gave up on Jesus. If Jesus wasn't going to act like the king, then, then Judas wasn't interested and then went and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, but, but Peter sins against faith. Peter sins against love. Peter reminds us in this of just the wickedness of our own hearts, that we are truly more wicked than we ever imagined. But the beauty of the story is that while Peter is busy destroying his soul, God is busy at work saving it in Jesus Christ. The, God's grace is at work even in Peter's disaster. As God is, is going to use this to open Peter's eyes to something Peter had never known before, and that's just the truth about his own heart. <coughs> The gospel tells, excuse me. The gospel tells us of two events, uh, two things that happened immediately following Peter's uh, final denial. Things that finally opened his eyes. The first thing that happened, of course, was the rooster crowed, just as Jesus had promised it would. Uh, that rooster uh, was was ordained by God before the foundation of the world to be God's voice in Peter's ear, uh, striking Peter's heart. For as soon as Peter got done cursing and calling down condemnation on himself, I never knew the man. As soon as the words were out of his mouth, the rooster crows. And as soon as Peter heard it, he had to remember the words of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter then, of course, had vehemently denied it. He was offended that Jesus would think so little of him. 
Right? He was offended. How, Jesus, how could you say that? After all that we've been through and all that I've done and, uh, and, and, and all that you've seen of me, how, how could you say that, that I would do such a thing? And then the rooster crowed. And the crushing reality of his desperately wicked heart suddenly becomes real. And in a moment, Peter's a ruined man. All of his fantasies about who he was, about how he was the great leader, he was the committed one, he was the zealous disciple, all of that is just gone. Every, every illusion Peter had about who he was is, is completely, irredeemably destroyed. He is a sinner. He is a rebel. He is a man who is willing to, to vehemently and with curses deny he even knows the Christ of God. That's the first event. Luke, the gospel writer, tells us of the other event in Luke chapter 22, where Luke writes it this way, Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about, and immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and then Luke adds this, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Apparently, uh, Jesus had been first led to Annas, we know, and then to Caiaphas, and, and, and it's almost certain that Jesus was being led through the courtyard then, the, the very courtyard where Peter was. Jesus is being led through exactly as Peter is vehemently swearing that he doesn't know Jesus. And then he looks up, and Jesus is right there. And Jesus is looking at him. I just can't imagine the horror that Peter must have felt to, to, to find himself staring right into the eyes of Jesus. And, and, and the very moment, you see, the very moment the rooster crows and he looks up and there's Jesus looking at him, the very moment Peter is uncovered and, and realizes the horror of his own sin, in that very same moment he finds himself face to face with Jesus, the one whom he sinned against. I know we've, I'm, I'm certain you've had uh, embarrassing, horrifying moments in your life where you've been, you've been caught in in, in some sin. I remember uh, complaining as a boy, just an arrogant little guy. Uh, I think we were probably in fourth grade, 10 years old, somewhere in there. Right? It had to be close to that. And um, we, all, we did Christmas presents for school. There was only about uh, eight of us in my, in my class. So, <clears throat> um, But anyhow, I, uh, I went and I saw my name and I saw my present and uh, it was it was, um, it was a pocket knife. I can tell it was a pocket knife just wrapped with a little bit of paper and my name slapped on it. And, and for some reason, I was highly offended that somebody didn't take the you know, time to put it in a box or something. Give me, give me, let's have some surprise here, a little drama, something. Um, I'm, hold on, it's a pocket knife. And uh, so I start complaining about it to my friends. And I'm just, you know, who in the world, you know, would, 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 would just be so silly, so stupid. I mean, it would just, anyhow, I'm just, I'm just mouthing off. And then I opened the present. Well, what was I thinking, right? Scott gave me the present. And I'm just complaining to Scott about, what an idiot, you know, what, what kind of... And I looked at Scott, and Scott's, Scott's looking at me, and I feel about that high. I'm sure you've had experiences like that, where you just, you're just found out. You're caught. Peter's caught. He is found out in the most profound, awful, horrifying way you could ever imagine. As he looks up in, in the middle of his sin and he sees Jesus. But one, there's a critical important thing here to know. That this is where we have to come. This is the way it will be at every person who becomes a Christian. You see, it's not just enough. 
It's not just enough to know that you're a sinner. There are, there are criminals and, and, and drug addicts and people who've made wreck of their life and other people's lives all over the world who know that they're sinful. What hasn't happened is that they've come to, the, to, to realize the truth of their sin in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of God. So they make excuses for their sin. You see, they justify their sin, or, or they just accept this is what I am. But for a Christian, the, the, what has to happen is that we come to the realization of our sin in the presence of God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, that you might be proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. We got to face our sin in the presence of God because that's where the true awfulness, the horror of it is found. So Peter's story is a great reminder to all of us that this is where God needs to bring us. This is God doing his work of grace in our life. I, I, I tell people so often, when you, uh, when you find yourself in the most uh, wretched, miserable, embarrassing, humiliating sin of your life, look up. Because that's where you're going to see Jesus. That's where you're, that's where you're going to discover not just the reality of your sin, but the, the, the reality of the Savior. That's what Peter found. And that's our third point, the Savior. Peter's wickedness is confirmed. There's no denying it. His guilt is, is beyond telling. And Jesus knew, of course, all along. Peter, Jesus had told Peter this was going to happen. And yet Jesus looked at him and Jesus loved him. Jesus was going to the cross for him. Jesus was going to suffer the wrath of God for, for Peter, for Peter's sin. Jesus was going to purchase Peter's eternal redemption as he went to the cross. This is what the cross means. It's not just a gesture on God's part of a vague love for vague people. It is a very specific act on the part of Jesus Christ where he willingly takes on Peter's sin and your sin. And he goes to the, the, the cross specifically to atone specifically to turn away the wrath of God for your sin, to forgive and pardon you of your sin, but it must be paid. And Jesus goes to the cross to satisfy the, the justice of God for your sin, for my sin. It's an incredible thought. That God has not just sort of waved his hand and said, you're forgiven. But God has made a way in Jesus Christ to actually pardon our sin and and pay for our sin. And we see in this, this story that, that God has a, a gracious use for our sin. You see, Peter needed to come to this moment, didn't he? He was, he was absolutely no use whatsoever to Christ or to the cause of the gospel until he came to this moment. Because, Jesus, because Peter, until now, does not understand who Jesus is. He knows he's the Christ, but when he thinks Christ, he thinks Messian, he thinks king, he thinks rule, he thinks power, he thinks Israel being the greatest nation in the world. And so uh, that's where his brain is. He's not thinking a sacrifice for sinners. He's not thinking someone who's going to rescue us from the bondage of sin and lead us into the glory of everlasting life. That's not what he thinks. That's not what he sees when he sees Jesus, but this changes him. Peter has to come to this place to see the wretchedness of his heart because now he finally can, can, can begin to grasp what Jesus was doing as he's going to the cross. Remember, Peter tried to for, for, forbid him. Lord, remember Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to go and suffer and be put to death. And Peter says, it'll never happen to you. And Jesus replies, get behind me, Satan. 
Peter is opposed to the cross. Even when the soldiers come, Peter takes a sword and takes a whack at a guy. He is opposed to the whole thing. The, 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 the idea of Jesus suffering, he's opposed to it until now. Because now Peter sees and realizes he desperately needs Jesus to go to that cross. He needs, he needs a Savior. And praise God, one had been provided for him. Jesus looked at him. I, I can only imagine the look in Jesus' eyes. There would have been sadness. There would have been, there would have been grief, I think. But there would have been love. There would have been love. Jesus did not look at Peter to condemn him. But he looked at him to love him. And then to go to the cross to die for him. Paul says it in Romans 5. Verse 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, that's exactly our story. While we were still weak and calling down curses upon ourselves and we were lost in our sin, at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. The ungodly, not the righteous people, not the religious people, not the people who've got it all cleaned up, but the ungodly. That's who Jesus died for. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the story of our life. That's, that's the truth that makes all the difference in the world. That's the truth that allows us to be Christians at all. If Jesus had not died for us while we were his enemies, if he had not died for us while we were still sinners, he would never have died for us at all. This is the glory of the gospel, friends. This is what we celebrate tonight, the Lord's Supper. We, when we come to the table tonight, we are confessing we're like Peter. We're just like Peter. We have the same bent, the same broken heart, the same sinful heart. We, 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 in so many different ways, deny Christ in our life still. We do. We're just like Peter. We confound ourselves with the this, this stupid, sinful things that we say and think and do, the things that we fail to do. And yet, yet God has provided us a Savior in Jesus Christ who is saving us from our sin. And, 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 and even in our sin, God is at work to, to humble us. God is at work to, to make us see the truth about the gospel. God is at work to make us useful for his cause. Because you see, as a, as a humbled sinner who's confident of the Savior, we have a message for the world. Jesus is sufficient for you. I don't care who you are, where you, what you've done. I don't, I don't care what your story is. Jesus is a, a sufficient Savior for you. I promise you he is because he's a sufficient Savior for me. So let's come to the table tonight, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore, in the confidence that Jesus has saved us, and he's full of pity, joined with power. And so let's go to Jesus. Let's bow together in prayer. Well, Father in heaven, I thank you so much for Jesus, the Savior of sinners. I thank you, O oh God, that, that Jesus knew me and yet loved me, that Jesus knew us and yet loved us and gave his life for us that we could be forgiven, that we could be robed in his righteousness, that we could be heirs of heaven, that we could be gloriously saved and made useful for the cause of God in this world. Oh, oh God, thank you. I pray that tonight as we come to the table, Lord, we would uh, receive by faith the truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ, his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us, that we might be saved, that we might be the, the glorious children of God. So Lord, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward at this time.